KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Clinical trials look at new ways to prevent, detect, or treat diseases. They usually determine whether or not a new test or a new treatment works or is safe. So in other words, they are quite literally changing lives and evolving modern medicine. But they are not perfect. Not every individual has the same interest in being in a clinical research study. Whether it's an access issue or a perception, cultural risk aversion issue, I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, we talk with Jim Murphy, CEO of Greenfire, about clinical trials, what goes into them, how companies like his are trying to make them better, and why it's essential to bridge the gap in who's participating. So before we talk about clinical trials and and how they can be better, uh, your company, Greenfire, for people who aren't familiar, kind of tell us a little bit about that to kind of give people context uh, where you're coming from. Yeah, Greenfire is a a cross between a a workflow automation company and a fintech company. And basically what we do is we manage all of the steps that go into making payments in the clinical trial process. And there are a lot of different types of payments that happen all over the world. And each of them cause a significant amount of work for research sites. And we try to eliminate as much of that work as we possibly can so that research sites can focus on caring for patients and not doing a ton of administrative work in order to support their trials. So the concept of clinical trials kind of explain exactly how they work and what the end goal is. Well, a a clinical trial is just a, a scientific experiment. It is essentially testing a hypothesis out and collecting the data that's going to inform whether that hypothesis is correct or not. And in the specific context of clinical trials, that scientific method is essentially verifying that study medication or a potential medicine is safe and effective. So uh, clinical trials are basically an iterative process where you start by making sure that it's safe Uh, to be consumed uh, by a human being. And then you go into verifying in the next round of clinical trials, you know, phase two, you're, you're looking more at, does it work? And do we have the right dose? And then you get to phase three and you're, you're really focused on a bigger population of the target uh, group that would be taking the medicine or the, the therapeutic. And you're verifying that it's safe and effective at scale. And then ultimately, when all that data is compiled, you submit that to the regulatory agency, whether it be the FDA in the United States or another regulatory agency in another country, and they'll make a determination of whether the drug is safe and effective and should be opened up for for use by physicians in their region. And I know your company tries to work to to make them better. So I'm curious, like overall, we're painting with a broad brush here and every situation is different. But where are we falling short in clinical trials as far as making them as thorough and as uh, representative of, you know, maybe uh, what the population is and stuff like that? Where do we fall short for the most part? I think you have to acknowledge that clinical trials are a super difficult thing to manage. A lot of businesses have you know, a supply chain. You have a manufacturer of widgets and you make those widgets and then you bring those to your client. And ultimately, it's a pretty simple, steady, produce, 
sell, you know, generate revenue, do rinse, repeat. Clinical trials, each one is its own project. It is a totally distinct population you're trying to recruit. It's a different set of doctors that are going to be conducting the trial. It has totally different parameters that depend on the study medication, the protocol design, um, the regions that you're pursuing that make it super, super complicated. So I first want to acknowledge that it's not an easy problem, and that's why it hasn't been made super simple universally already. And in fact, it's not getting more simple. It's getting more complicated over time because our drugs are getting better. You know, 35 years ago, you're treating big therapeutic areas, big diseases, and you're doing it with, I don't want to say blunt instruments, but relatively less targeted therapies, meaning they can apply to just the whole population. Think chemotherapy. You know, you're talking about drugs that, you know, everybody who's got cancer is going to be using that as, as a mechanism until there's a medicine that's more specific, more targeted, um, more effective, more safe. And, and so the idea is as drug innovation gets better, and it has, oh my goodness, over the last 30 years, it's just been a metamorphosis. What happens is the population that you're trying to test the medicine on and eventually that you want to use the medicine becomes more and more narrow. And as you try to target a more specific patient population, it adds a lot of complexity in terms of enrollment and retention. You know, the types of questions you're asking, the protocol are more elaborate. You're asking for more visits. Everything becomes more, more, more because you're trying to collect as much data as you possibly can from the minimum number of patients so that you can give the regulatory agencies the best information so they can make an informed decision on whether it's good to have this opened up to the population. So the first thing is, it is thorough. It's incredibly thorough, and it has to be. And I think the controls on that are really good, but it's an ever-increasingly complex landscape. And so technology is there to make that a little bit more simple and to offset some of that administrative burden that's always increasing, but it's still always an endeavor. Now, you mentioned the second thing, representative. Representative of the population that you're expecting will take the medicine is a bit of a complicated area and certainly one that the FDA has been increasingly vocal about over the last couple of years. And, and the idea is that, of course, scientifically and for many other reasons, you want to have the medicine tested on the people who are going to take the drug eventually so you can know the effectiveness and the safety of the medicine. And that's not always easy because not every individual has the same interest in being in a clinical research study, whether it's an access issue or a perception, cultural risk aversion issue. There are a million different factors that go into it. But if you're to look across the board, there is overrepresentation of Anglo males in clinical research, and there's underrepresentation in uh, African-American and Latino uh, folks. And since clinical trials are an item where people have to want to be involved in it, it's a, it's a complicated item to know whether uh, we're not doing enough to make sure everybody is aware of the opportunities that there are to participate in trials, or if we're not doing enough to try to um, help shift cultural perception that might be contributing to an aversion within certain subpopulations. But ultimately, 
good science you know, necessitates that we try to make sure that the population that a medicine is tested on is roughly in line with the population that is going to be eventually using the medicine if we want to have good medicines and good representation. We need to take a break. We will have more with Jim Murphy right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation about clinical trials with Jim Murphy, CEO of Greenfire. So how do we make this better? What are some of the things that I'm sure your company's working towards but, but and overall that we could do to, to try to just make this easier for people to take part in and to stay with? I, I think there's, there's two different levels. There's um, you know, the very tangible, which is you go after the burdens that are inhibiting people from feeling like they want to participate. The number one is financial. Second one is logistical. Is it taking a ton of time away from work or family or other things and, and making it so there's a great burden in that way? Or is it costing me money to get to the clinic? Or am I losing work hours that are the, the result of me having, you know, a visit every two weeks for this clinical trial and I have to, you know, spend two and a half hours at the clinic and an hour driving each way, is that viable? So what can we as a pharmaceutical community do to offset those travel and logistical factors? Those are, those are things that we can do right now. If you're speaking specifically about the diversity and representation in the clinical trial setting, there are also the long game elements, which is what can we do to have more investigators, more research sites that are located conveniently for folks of underrepresented demographics? What can we do to provide education that illustrates, you know, the pros and cons of being in a clinical trial so that people can make an informed decision for themselves, but at least have the information to make those decisions? So those are some of the very tangible, like immediately actionable, as well as more long game items. But, you know, if you go down another layer, there's a whole host of different things beyond that that come into play as well. You know, there's taxation. You know, if you're receiving a reimbursement as a participant in a clinical trial, let's say, you know, you have receipts for things and you're submitting those receipts and getting reimbursed, there's no taxable impact. But if you're taking time off of work on a regular basis and you're foregoing your compensation, an hourly job, and you know most pharma companies would want to provide some offset, some small offset for time and inconvenience. Well, if that amount goes beyond $600 in a year, then ultimately that becomes a taxable event, which can have some unexpected consequences. It can impact some people's eligibility for state medical benefits or federal medical benefits. It ultimately drives a bit of complexity and aversion that just creates more friction. Another item might be communication. Nobody does a clinical trial. Nobody participates in a clinical trial for any other reason than wanting to contribute to the advancement of medicine. But if you participate in a clinical trial, it is such a controlled regulatory environment that people don't always get feedback. As a patient, you don't always get feedback on what happened with the trial. Did it work? 
did my contribution of time and effort and, and sharing of your, your, your body effectively um, in this, did it lead to anything? And, and so the challenge is, are we communicating back with the participants to let them know that their volunteerism, their sacrifice, that it was worth something or that it just concluded, you know, it's okay to not have everything work because not every medicine is going to work. But communication is a very important piece to patients. And it's not an easy thing to manage right now. We could do better there. And then lastly, I think just protocol burden. You know, there's a lot that is being asked of participants. How can we make that a little bit easier for the participant without making it so you break that relationship between the researcher, you know, the, the doctor that's overseeing the trial for that research site and the patient? There's, there's a bond there that both parties really want. But there's also flexibility such that if the patient needs to travel an hour and a half to go to that clinic, you don't want to do that all the time. How can you design studies that allow a little bit more flexibility for things to be done from home when possible or in a more local setting um, that's not always at the clinic while keeping the researcher informed of that information? These are areas where there's great opportunity and that we're working on here at Greenfire. Can you give us some context? Like, do you do you have numbers or or an idea of how if some of these things that you've suggested or and think can be worked on are implemented, how much better, quicker, more informative the clinical trial is than if they aren't utilized? Like, can you give us some idea of how much this can improve things? Well, it's hard to quantify some of that, but what I would say is the biggest limiting factor in the speed of clinical trials is the ability to recruit patients. Most clinical trials take longer to recruit than planned, and many never reach their full enrollment. And so if you don't have a substantial enough population to reach your, you know, your target of your protocol or statistical significance, you're not, you're not going to make progress. So that would be number one thing. Now, what inhibits people from participating in clinical trial? Are you able to target the right patients that are going to be eligible for that protocol? And are you, once you're able to, you know, identify them, is it compelling to them in that, are they going to be burdened in a huge way by being in that trial? How can you make sure you take away that burden and give them a better experience? So number one, they have the option of, of you know, joining without you know, enduring some unreasonable amount of cost or time impact. And then how do you make it easier for them to just stay in the trial if they want to be on the trial? If you did that and you just improve that incrementally, that would have a huge difference. They say the, the, the typical trial discontinuation, early termination from a trial, somebody stepping off saying, I don't want to continue in this, is a very high number. I don't actually have that statistic in front of me, so I'd have to look that up and get back to you. But ultimately, you know, if you could reduce that by 20, 30%, which is very doable, and we've seen that done by providing extra services and travel, logistics, reimbursement, those sorts of things, then you can effectively accelerate that trial by months. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.